Good morning, Redeemer. We're, we're in, as you know, a, a series through the book of Philippians. We saw last week uh, that Paul, uh, just this wonderful, glorious section of scripture where Paul just says uh, that, that we are saved by faith, right? We're saved by faith through the righteousness of Christ. Through nothing that we do, we can receive as a gift Christ's perfect righteousness and stand justified before him. And some might say, after hearing that, after a message like that last week, that, uh, you know, that might lead you to complacency. It might lead you to, if you're just justified in a moment because of nothing you've done, all a gift of God, does that just lead you to, to, be, uh, to be lazy? And the answer today that we'll see is absolutely not. It doesn't. Last week was about the past, you could think of it as. This week is about the present and the future. And Paul's going to talk about today how we mature how do we mature as Christians? Um, the, the, I think Paul lays out a really compelling vision of maturity in the Christian life. We're going to talk about uh, three things today and uh, how, how do we pursue maturity. One, embrace the process. Embrace the process. Two, make every effort. And three, keep to the old roads. Let's pray once more and, and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your spirit. Would you speak to us as we need it? Um, Lord, would you, uh, w- would you help us not to come to the word with our preconceived notions, with our ideas, with our biases, um, and, and then to, to put those on what you're saying, but help us to, to hear what you're saying and submit ourselves and our biases and our, our uh, understandings to you and to your word. Could we sit really under your word um, and not, not be, uh, be, act like we are lords over your word? Uh, we want to follow you. We want to be open to what you have to say. Um, and so would you please help us by your spirit? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How do we mature? Number one, embrace the process. Embrace the process. Verse 12 says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. Uh, 13, Paul says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. So you you can see that that Paul thought because of how he had been talking in this chapter, he might be understood as saying that he made it, right? I have reached the the knowing Christ as I will when I'm resurrected uh, from the dead. I'm there, I've made it. And Paul says, not at all, (laughs) I'm not there. I'm not perfect, I'm in process. And no matter how old you are or how far you are in your walk with the Lord, uh, you haven't yet reached the goal, Right? You, you are still in process. The, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Right? This is true in almost every area of life, and it's true in faith as well. The, the more you walk with the Lord, the more you understand that you have a long way to go. I read these Puritan, you know, the Puritan guys. If you, if you look back at the, the Valley of Vision, these prayers, and they're, they're so, man, they're so introspective and, and so like, hard on themselves, on their sin. You're like, man... He's just talking about how wretched you are, right? Uh, and he's like, man, what are these guys, I know these guys are holier than me. Like, why are they so down on their sin? And I think the answer is, um, the, the closer you are to Jesus, the more you understand the reality and the depth of your sin. Right? The more you, you, you see your sin clearly, the closer you get to the Lord. And, and that's okay. It, it was okay for the Apostle Paul. He hadn't made it. And it's okay for, for you. You haven't made it either. We will always be in process. We will always be in the body of our humble condition in this life. But look at verse 15. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. 
I think Paul here acknowledges the process again. Right? We, we might not all be on the same page yet, and that's okay. Now, now we, we've seen Paul be very clear in this, in this letter about Jesus and what he's done. He's not saying there aren't lines that we draw. We, we've seen him be very clear on the call for unity, right? That we should be, have one mind, have the mind of Christ, uh, have humility like Christ, consider others better than yourself. So there's, there's goals, there are clear goals that we pursue as a community, as a church. But, but he acknowledges here that growth is a process and that, and that God reveals different things to different people at different times. And isn't that true for you? Isn't this true in your life? Think about yourself uh, a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. Right, would, would, you go, would, would you go back and do you look at yourself back then and go like, man, I sure had it together. I, was, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> No, right? What do we look? We look back at ourselves and go, I was such an idiot five years ago. Oh my goodness. If I could go back, I would say, I would, you don't get it. Like here, this is the, don't worry so much about this. Here's what you need to know, um, right? You, we would all go back like that and, and, and try to help our, our past selves. And, and, but you know what that means. It means that in a year or five years or 10 years from now, you're gonna look back on yourself at this moment and you're gonna go, what an idiot. <laughs> I just didn't get it. We're all in process. We're all in process. There's no Instapot spiritual growth. You can't microwave it. Like we want, this is how we want results. And that's not how spiritual growth works. When the Bible talks about growth in Christ's likeness, it often uses agricultural metaphors, right? You reap what you sow, um, the fruit of the spirit, right? Have you ever watched fruit grow on trees? No, you haven't because you can't, it's too slow, right? Uh, it, it, it's too slow, growth is slow. The fruit of the spirit grows over time in our lives, like fruit on a tree. We, we measure growth, and we should see growth, right? If you have a tree, an apple tree that never has apples, this is a problem, right? But we measure it not by, not by days and weeks, but by months and years, and, which means we can be gracious to each other, right? It means we can say, hey, I can see this. I think this is a problem. I don't, I don't think this sister gets it. I don't think this brother gets it. But you know what? I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to trust that God's going to reveal that to them. He's going to make it clear to them in the right time. It's a process and we need to embrace that spiritual growth is a process. Second, second, how do we mature in Christ? We make every effort. Make every effort. Look at verse 12. Not, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Here, I think you see another one of the great verses about our action and its relation to God's action, right? What do we do? What, what does he do? Uh, just like back in, verse, in, in chapter two, verse 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You do that for... It's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think you see the same thing here, right? And I make every effort to take hold of it because Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. I do it because it's been done to me. I work because he's working. God's work, God's action doesn't paralyze the Apostle Paul. It empowers him, it spurs him on. I'm not there, but I'm striving to get there. I'm making every effort to get there. And some people say, well, what about, what about grace? 
What about how does that work with grace? And, and Dallas Willard, this is a quote that Pastor Kevin used a couple weeks ago. Grace uh, is not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Effort is an action. Earning is a motive. Grace, that we are justified by faith in the finished work of Christ, the gift of God we just receive, that should lead us to make every effort to grow in Christ, to obey him, to follow him, to pursue all that God has for us. Not because we can earn his favor, not because we can earn his love, but because we can't ever lose his love. Right? We're not trying to get his love. We have it. We have it all. And so the motive is not fear. It's not duty. The motive is joy. The motive is joy. I make every effort to take hold of it. Why? Because Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. He's taken hold of me, so I'm chasing him. Look at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, reaching forward to what's ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. Jerry Bridges calls this race car Christianity. Right? It's, it's a mindset. Um, we're, we're planning a, a family road trip the next month. Uh, and... Uh, we're going to take our time. Like we're going to we're going to make lots of stops. We're going to really enjoy the journey um, and, and uh, be relaxed about the, the drive. And you've probably driven like this. You know, you've driven leisurely before. I mean, that, that's very different uh, from how a lot of Houstonians drive to work in the morning, right? I've been on the Grand Parkway and the Dooley is weaving in and out between traffic. They're not driving that way, uh, right? The, you think of uh, NASCAR drivers, right? They're not leisurely driving. You know, they're not just out for a Sunday afternoon you know, stroll. No, they, they are, they're fully engaged. They're pushing. This seems to be Paul's mindset in, in the Christian life. Not only in Philippians, look over at, at 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 24. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I dis- discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is, this is a race car mentality, right? Run in the race, Fully engaged, disciplined, focused, intentional. This is the call in following Jesus. Make every effort. Some people uh, who don't know how it works think that spiritual maturity just happens to you. You just become a Christian and it just drops in your lap. You're mature. No, not, that's just not at all how it works, right? It's like, it's like buying a gym membership and then just thinking, I, I have this gym membership, so I'm going to get in shape. Like, no, like you can't get in shape sitting on your couch watching Netflix eating Cheetos, you know? Like, that just isn't the, the formula. <laughs> you're like, but I have a gym membership. I have all the tools at my disposal. Well, yes, you do, but you're not gonna get in shape unless you use them. And in the same way, in Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need for maturity. But we won't get there if we don't pursue it. Right? Make every effort. This is how we mature. Okay, so it's going to take effort, right? Uh, it's going to take effort. But, but what, what should we do? 
What should we do in this process where we're, uh, you know, expending effort for? What, what, what does it actually look like? Number three, keep to the old roads. Keep to the old roads. Um, th- that's a phrase from an Andrew Peterson song that I really love. Uh, but, but the point is, this isn't, uh, this isn't a new path, right? This isn't a new path. They're, they're, I'm not gonna give you some a new way of spiritual growth, right? Here's the novel, you know, the, no one has ever discovered it, but here it is now. You can follow this path. No, no, there's, there's old paths, right? There, there's, old, there's the ways, they're here. We have them. We follow the old ways. Um, and there are well-worn paths of Christ-likeness and of spiritual maturity if we will follow them. So what do we see Paul command here? Verse 17, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me, right? Paul says this, and he's an apostle, so you can argue uh, that he has special authority to say this maybe, right? Uh, but on a day when we are, we are being installed as elders, I, I think it's, it's important to mention this is a command for pastors, Right, this, is, this is a command for pastors from, from uh, Peter. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but here it is, being examples to the flock. Being examples to the flock. All pastors should be examples. We should be men who are, who are following Christ and can be imitated, which isn't intimidating at all. <laughs> it is. That means you need to pray for us. That's what it means. Pray for us, please. And you do. Thank you. I, I, I think this is a great biblical balance. I love this. Pa- Paul says here, I'm not perfect. I don't have it together. But you can imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think this should be all of our minds. This should be what we're going for. We're going for a, a type of maturity where we would say, hey, I've not made it. Right? Anyone who says to you they've made it, run from them. <laughs> right? They haven't. Right? Uh, and, and, but we've not made it. I've not made it. But if someone walked in our steps, they would be following Jesus behind us. That's the balance. There's humility, but a real following of Christ. And, and there's something so, so human about imitation, right? This is how we, we learn almost everything. Uh, you know, kids learn to, to speak by imitating sounds, imitating their, their language. Um, uh, my daughter makes me, you know, dinner in her play kitchen. What is she doing? She's imitating her mother and I, who she always sees cooking in the kitchen, right? Um, you can learn to be a nurse from a book, uh, but praise God for clinicals, right? Where you go and you see a nurse give a shot and then you can imitate that uh, because that's how you really learn, right? That's how you really learn things. As, as I said in the video, I, I played football in high school and, and my high school football coach, he always told us to fake it till you make it, which you've probably heard before. He's the first one who told me that though. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's good advice, I think it's good advice. He always said he wanted, uh, he always wanted the football players to be the best students in class. That's what, that's like what he, the standard he held us to. And so his advice was fake it till you make it. He said, you sit in the front row, you take copious notes, you raise your hand and ask lots of questions. You, he's like, I know you're not good students, but you act like you're a good student, right? Just pretend, right? 
Uh, and, and what would happen for, for guys who did that? Well, lo and behold, they became good students, <laughs> right? They became good students. Why is that? Well, they were imitating good students. They were practicing. They were, they were copying good students. And so th- those faithful people in your life, imitate them. Imitate them. Fake being patient like your mom. If your mom's so patient, go, man, how would my mom respond here? I'm gonna pretend like I'm her. What would I do, right? Imitate, copy, praying like that person in your life group who seems to have such a close walk with God. Hang out with people who are good at evangelism. If you're not good at evangelism, and just do what they do. Just copy them. See them do something, say something? Okay, I'm gonna try that, and go try it. If if you, you don't know how to read the Bible, Meditate on God's word. Ask someone who you respect to show you what they do and then fake it till you make it. Copy them. C.S. Lewis says about loving your neighbor. He says this, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. And when a mind like C.S. Lewis says, here's a great secret, and you can pay attention to it. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. And I think that gets at the power of imitation. It's not just that you're faking it, right? By copying, by practicing, by imitating. That's what people say. Well, I want to do it for the right motives. Well, yeah, of course you do. But maybe, maybe the practice and the imitation comes first and the motives follow after, right? Because you, you are not only just copying and practicing, you, you are being formed by your practice into a different type of person. Join in imitating us, Paul says, and those who follow in our example. There are plenty of people in the world who are enticing you to imitate them, who are not worth imitating. Verse 18, for I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. We don't know exactly who Paul is referencing here. Uh, maybe the Judaizers from earlier in the chapter, maybe someone else uh, who's, who's kind of troubling this church. Uh, but I think what matters most is not, not who, you know, who they actually were, um, but, but the way that Paul identifies them, right? These qualities that he describes, they're, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. They're perhaps these people say they're Christians, but by their actions, they deny the truth that they say they believe. They're, they're headed for destruction. This is their trajectory. It's going to destruction. If you imitate these people, that's, your, that's where you're going, to destruction. Their God is their stomach, their appetite. Fulfilling their desires is their first priority. They don't deny themselves and follow Christ. Right? They satisfy themselves, their own deepest desires. Their glory, it says, is in their shame. They, they boast in things that they should really be ashamed of. And we see this all the time. And, and I, lo- I love the summary kind of statement at the end. They are, they're focused on earthly things. I think this sums it up. They're focused on earthly things. I, I think in our, in our world, whether it's self-help gurus, health nuts, uh, ripped CrossFit people, new age therapists, political pundits, Um, Crypto investors, genius business leaders, discernment bloggers, modern stoic philosophers, 
you know, relationship coaches, even, even some pastors, people who write Christian books, they, they often all share this one trait, that they are focused on earthly things. They offer a way of life, a path to walk, exemplars to imitate, people and movements to embrace, people and movements to condemn. Uh, their focus is on here and now. Improve your life by doing this or that thing. If only we do this, if only we reject this, then we will have paradise here on earth. You'll, you'll finally have the life or the peace or the world that you want. If only you'll imitate me and probably buy my subscription service, whatever it is. And Paul, Paul has tears over this. And shouldn't we? Shouldn't we also, as we see people passionate about gardening or politics or fitness or theology even, heading for destruction? Don't imitate these people, Paul says. Don't imitate people whose focus is here. Instead, look at the contrast, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read about Narnia, or about Middle Earth, or about Hogwarts, or about, you know, you watch Star Wars, don't you wish you could go there? I know that you do because you spend thousands of dollars going to Disneyland. Right? That's why they make billions of dollars because we all want to go there. We want to experience, I just want to stand you know, in Diagon Alley and see the dragon above me. That would be so awesome. Right? We, we all long, we have this longing for a place better than the world we experience. And that's a clue for us. Paul says here, in fact, you are citizens of another world. This isn't your home, actually. You belong somewhere else. And where you belong is an amazing place, a place of wonder, a place, uh, a place with no more pain, no more tears, a, a place where, where you'll be truly home. You belong there. But the best thing about this place is that our Savior is there, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Verse 21, look what he'll do. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, we, we all here, we all have bodies of, of humble condition. No offense, right? We, we are weak and fragile, and no matter how strong we are, and, and hear me, like young people especially, no matter how strong we are, we will age and we will weaken and we will die and we will be forgotten. Listen to the preacher of Ecclesiastes. So remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them before the sun and the light are darkened and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain, on the day when the guardians of the house tremble, and if, if you're not poetically inclined, that's legs, the guardians of your house tremble, the strong men stoop shoulders, the women who grind grain cease because they are few teeth, 
The ones who watch through the windows see dimly. The doors at the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades. When one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also, they are afraid of the heights and dangers on the road. The almond tree blossoms, gray hair. The grasshopper loses its spring. The caperberry has no effect. For the mere mortal is headed to his eternal home and mourners will walk around in the street before the silver cord is snapped and the gold bowl is broken and the jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken into the well and the dust returns to the earth as it once was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. We all age, we all die. But what does Paul say here that Jesus will do? He will transform the humble body that we have into the likeness of his glorious body. Jesus rose in the body. He rose physically, and so will we. This is the Christian hope. This is what we've always believed, right? It's all, in all the creeds, right? The resurrection of the body. We believe that we will rise. However you think the intermediate state goes, right? Between, between death and resurrection, if it's like soul sleep and you're just unconscious or if your spirit goes to be with God and then comes back to your body, however it, you believe, right? It's clear at the end that we will be raised. We will be transformed gloriously and we will forever be with the Lord, right? You will stand on your feet. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty, This is our hope. And this is what Paul is chasing. Right? He, he said at the end, the, the, the end of last week, that I may reach the resurrection from the dead. He says it here, that he's going to raise my body. He's going to raise our bodies and transform us. And this is the mindset of people we're to imitate. Those whose hope is not in here, not on the things of earth, but on heaven. Eternal things. We're to imitate those who eagerly wait for Jesus, for the resurrection of the body and the renewal of all things. And in our materialistic age, in our kind of modern Western age, it's, this is so difficult for us. It's harder than for Christians of other ages, I think, just because of our, our uh, culture, right? Our culture that, that just closes off anything supernatural, right? It's hard to believe in anything supernatural, much, much less the, the afterlife, and that's why it's so important for us that we are, we're steeped in scripture. That's why it's so important that, that the word of Christ dwells richly in us, that we see the world, not through the lenses that we're given, but through the lenses of scripture, right? Because, because he, God can show us, he can critique our culture helpfully through his word, right? He can show us where, uh, where we, should, we should be aliens here, where we should think differently than our culture around us does. I think this is a great reason to read Christians of other, from other ages, right? Read, read, read the church fathers, read his, like, historical theology, Christians throughout the ages, because they didn't struggle with the same things we struggle with. They, they believed in the afterlife, right? We can imitate them, uh, and, and they can help us and know how to think and know how to follow the Lord in our time. Some might object um, and some have objected that if we focus too much on heaven, that we won't engage here. Like, okay, so we'll just think about heaven and not care about what's going on here. Or we'll be useless to the world. 
Uh, Johnny Cash uh, famously saying that some people are so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good. And I, I think that's a danger. I, I, think, I mean, I think you, could, you can see that. You can imagine uh, a withdrawal, a fear, uh, a separation, and a hatred of the world that, that would not be healthy, that would not lead to maturity and love. But I think, I think this is largely a red herring. I think it's just a distraction. Um, C.S. Lewis said almost exactly the opposite. Look at, look at this from Mere Christianity. Hope is one of the theological virtues this means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. This is the mindset. One set on eternal realities that, that makes us, and maybe paradoxically makes us, the most useful here. This is the mindset that makes us truly mature and helpful to the world, to each other. And I think the Apostle Paul is example number one. Right? I think he's example number one. Or even earlier in Philippians, we saw him say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I long to depart and be with Jesus. You know when he was getting flogged and shipwrecked and snake-bitten and in prison, he was going, man, it'll be nice when this is over. Right? He longed for the presence of Jesus. And he was the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. There may be a connection there. Regardless, uh, it's a command for us. It's commanded of us. Colossians 3, 1 says, if you've been raised with Christ... And if you have been justified, if you've trusted Jesus with your life, you have new life, you have the Holy Spirit inside you, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Peter, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. These are the commands. And if you think, man, great, Another thing to focus on, right? Another burdensome command. No, don't, don't see it like that. Right? Jesus says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And this is, this is an invitation to hope. It's an invitation to hope because this world is not our home. And don't we feel that? Don't we see it every day? You were made for another world. And that world is coming with Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we praise you um, that, that you have given us a hope beyond the grave. Lord, that you've defeated the great enemy of mankind, death. You have, uh, you've defeated Satan. You've put him to open shame by triumphing over him in the cross. Thank you that we have nothing to fear. And Lord, I, I pray uh, that, that you would help us. It's so hard for us to, to remember. It's so hard for us to dwell on the future and let that inform our lives. We struggle. I mean, we need you. We need your help. Would you empower us by your spirit to be able to see the world rightly, to be able to see people in our lives rightly, to be able to interact with others as you, you've called us to. Lord, would you mature us? Would you grow us into all that you have for us in Christ? Lord, where our minds are set on earthly things, where we are focused on earthly things and we, where we are imitating those whose minds are set on earthly things, would you reveal that? And would we be able to repent and turn to you and set our hope completely on the grace that you're gonna reveal to us in Christ? Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.